Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis by using the Zelle app to box13 at greatdetectives.net. If you're watching on YouTube, you can use the Super Thanks button to contribute directly from the video. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month by going to Patreon. Dot greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for another episode of Dangerous Assignment. The original air date, December the 10th, 1952, and the title is Riot. Dangerous Assignment. Transcribed, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though. Trouble, but... When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to show me that sometimes the best thing that can happen to a guy is to get caught in the middle of a riot. Morning, Commissioner. You sent for me? Steve, it looks like we're caught in the middle of another first-class frame-up. Oh, great. What and where is it this time? Last night, a band of Austrians slipped across the border into Hungary at a point some 30 miles southeast of Vienna. The attack guards are the strategic mind under lease to the Hungarian government. Go on, Commissioner. The attacking party went on a rampage of looting and burning. Six Hungarian guards were killed. Hmm, how do we fit in the picture? The attacking force, reported to have been 20 in number, left three of its members at the scene dead. So? The so-called dead Austrians have been identified as American soldiers. What? That's right. GIs attached to our forces in Vienna. Situation is tense, growing worse every minute. We're cooperating with the army in this matter, so when you get to Vienna, check with intelligence. All right. Obviously, we had nothing to do with this raid, Steve, but we've got to prove that and do it quickly. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another dangerous assignment. As Christmas draws near, the airwaves fill with beautiful holiday music. And on this station of the NBC radio network, you'll hear some of the greatest music ever composed, played and sung for you by our nation's finest musicians. Our Monday Night of Music will continue to bring you the most enjoyable musical memories on such stellar programs as the Telephone Hour, the Voice of Firestone, and the Railroad Hour. Beginning this week, 
And continuing until Christmas, NBC will present a series of Yuletide programs by choirs from all parts of the country. Saturday afternoons, the NBC Symphony Orchestra will bring you more great music. So, when you think of musical entertainment, think of NBC and set your dial to this station. Sure, I've got my assignment. Get over to Vienna, find out who rigged up the plot to implicate us in a border raid on a Hungarian mine, a free-for-all resulting in the deaths of half a dozen Hungarians and three American soldiers. It's early Wednesday evening when my plane sets down. Twenty minutes later, I'm in conference with Major Layton, United States Intelligence. Here are the service records of the three GIs, Steve. We're convinced they were kidnapped, murdered, then left at the scene of the skirmish. When were they first reported missing? They weren't. You see, they were out on a three-day pass due to report back to their company tomorrow. Excuse me. Yes? Good, good. Send them in, Corporal. Well, that's a relief. And it may be the break we've been waiting for, Steve. Oh? Sergeant Monahan's turned up and alive. He went out on pass with the others yesterday. Sergeant Monahan reporting, sir. At ease, Sergeant. This is Mr. Mitchell. Mr. Mitchell? Sergeant, you've heard what happened. Uh, yes, sir. You've known Polson, Keller, and Whitlow a long time, haven't you? Since uh, Palermo. The four of you went out on pass yesterday, right? Yes, sir. Where? A place called Frankel's, regular hangout. I know the place, Steve. Then what, Sergeant? Well, I had a Bruin left. At the last you saw of the others? Yes, sir. What plans did they have for the rest of the evening, do you know? Yeah, they were figuring on going over to a nightclub called the Blue Flame. They wanted me to come along, but I had a date. The Blue Flame, huh? Any special attraction? Yeah, I got a band to play some pretty good bop stuff, and, uh... And well, what, Sergeant? Well, Pose knew a girl there. She's a singer. Polish, I think. Her name's Anna. Thought she was pretty great. Didn't you? She was, uh, playing him for a sucker, if you ask me. The last name wouldn't be Krenko, would it, Sergeant? Something like that, sir. Couldn't be sure. Mean anything to you, Major? Yeah, if it's the same girl. Bad customer, Steve. Clip out is first class. Been mixed up in black market deals, too. I see. I think we better have a little chat with this Anna. A quarter of an hour later, the Major parks his car in a dimly lighted side street. I leave him sitting behind the wheel and walk into the Blue Flame nightclub alone. The joint is really jumping, and the cash customers are living it up but crazy. I spot her standing over by the bar, and I push my way through the crowd toward her. I open my wallet, take out the largest bill, and slide it across the bar. Oh, careful, my drink. Oh, I'm sorry, miss. I'm very sorry. It's quite all right. No harm done. Don't you me. Here, uh, let me buy you another. Yes, why not? Cognac, please. My money here seems to have become a little soggy. I'm certain the manager will not mind. Uh, bartender, two cognacs, please. You are an American, are you not? Yes, in town on business. A little pleasure, too. Never thought I'd run into a place like this, Bebop, in Vienna. You are fond of this, Bebop? Well, back home they don't call me crazy for nothing. Oh, uh, my name's Mitchell, Steve Mitchell. I am Anna. I work here. Do you? Well, what do you know? Say, maybe you can help me. I'm looking for a buddy of mine served in the army together during the war. Understand he drops in here quite often. A soldier? Yeah, his name is Polson, Dick Polson. Maybe you know him. Polson? 
No, I, I do not believe I know him. Now you must excuse me, please. I have to prepare for my next number. How about your drink? Oh, I will be back. You will wait, please. I'll wait, Anna. I watch as she disappears through a curtained doorway at the far end of the room. A few minutes later, she's back wearing a different evening gown. The lights go down, the band goes into its intro, and Anna begins to purr into the microphone. I slip through the doorway and down a long hall to her dressing room. I spend the next few minutes giving the place a fast frisk and come up with nothing except a snapshot of Anna and another girl, which I slip into my pocket for future reference. Then I hear someone coming down the hall. I duck into a small closet. You are, my dear. You'll find the money in this envelope. Count it if you wish. It will not be necessary. Thank you, darling. Thank you, Anna. You'll be most helpful. Everything went according to plan, really? Perfectly. There are still a few matters to be attended to, however. You are going back tonight? To Bernaghi? Yes. A demonstration is planned. I must see to certain important details. However, I have a few moments to spare. May I buy you a drink, Anna? Thank you. I have a drink waiting for me at the bar, Ruby. Oh? And an American. Oh? I think you will be interested in him. He came in looking for Sergeant Paulson. Paulson? Said he was an old friend. I see. Well, perhaps he's an old friend, Anna. Then again, he might not be. I think I'd best point this American out to me, Anna. Come along. I wait till I hear their footsteps fade down the hallway. Then I slip outside. There's a door at the far end of the corridor. It's open. I ease out into the alley, circle around to the front of the cafe and watch from the shadows. I don't have long to wait. The gent called Rudy comes out, steps into a long black limousine, gives his chauffeur the nod, the car roars away. I go down the block to where the major is waiting. What's up, Steve? I just had a peek at a payoff. And a Krenko? Yeah, for services rendered. It's got something to do with Sergeant Polson, that's for sure. I heard Rudy tell Anna he was going to a place called Bern... Bernagi? Bernagi? Well, that's a town just over the border in Hungary. It's only a few miles from the mine. He said something about a big demonstration. Sure, sure, it figures. The big build-up, beating of the drums, torchlight parade, the works. All very anti-United States, of course. Look, Major, I'd like to take in that little soiree across the border. Can you arrange it? Sure, I can put you in contact with someone. Meanwhile, what about Anna? Keep an eye on her so we can close in fast. We know she's the contact on this end of the line. I've got to nail the big boy at the other end. It's almost 10 o'clock when I wheel the major's car into a small hillside village overlooking the Austro-Hungarian border. A few minutes later, I pull up at a small shop and start massaging the front door with my knuckles. Please, my shop is closed. It is late. My name's Mitchell, Steve Mitchell. So? You're Gustav? So? Major Layton, get in touch with you. So? Come in, quickly. Herr Mitchell, this which you propose to do is suicide. The border is heavily patrolled since the affair at the mine. When can I start? The major warned me it would be impossible to convince you. All right, we must leave at once. It will be best if we are not seen together in the village. Okay, where do we meet? You will walk down the street two blocks. Turn left, and when you reach the railroad tracks, turn right, 
and follow the river until you reach a barn. Hmm? We will meet there. Ten minutes later, I pull up in the shadows of the barn, look out over the river. Over there on the other side is Hungary, and just over the hill on my left is a red glow in the sky. That would be the town where the big demonstration is being staged. I glance at my watch, then I hear a twig snap behind me. I start to turn around, but I'm not fast enough. Something hard catches me on the side of the head. I pitch forward and fall face down into the weeds. Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. Do you remember that old saying, a stitch in time saves nine? Well, unlike a lot of old proverbs, this one really works, whether you apply it to a chair with loose rungs or your health. Suppose you learn that a few dollars spent now could be that stitch in time that might save your health or the health of your family in the year to come. Sound like a good proposition? Well, here's how it's done. Just buy Christmas seals this Christmas. Yes, the money we spend for Christmas seals now goes for case finding, health education, medical research, and rehabilitation to help fight tuberculosis during the next year. Christmas seal money spent now helps protect us all from the number one killer among infectious diseases, TB. It's the stitch in time that saves human lives and health, prevents economic chaos and broken homes, which often follow in the wake of TB. Don't say it couldn't happen to you, it can but you take out a little insurance against it. Save lives and prevent misery, your own and your neighbor's, when you buy Christmas seals. Now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, Mitchell. Good stuff. Hey, what am I doing in the river? We are almost across. Yeah. Yeah. I can touch bottom. I arrived in time to see two men shove you into the river. I waited until they had gone, then I came in after you. I helped you across. Thanks. One of them was wearing a chauffeur's uniform. Yeah, Rudy and his driver, probably. Huh? Where do we go from here, Gustav? Bernagi is but a few kilometers from here. Come. We climb this bank, cross the road which runs along the top, down the other side of the incline. Then we still stick to the fields and wooded places as we... Hold go... it. Eh? What? Look up on the road over here, left. A patrol? Yeah. Come on, we've got to get across that road. We make it the cover okay. We work our way through the weeds and underbrush to a nearby forest and shake the patrol off our trail. Twenty minutes later, we're on the outskirts of Bernagi. Gustav takes me to an underground station and we get dry clothes. Then 
We head for the square in the center of town. The demonstration is going full tilt. Gustav and I blend in with the milling crowd. There's a speaker's platform in the center, and on it sit six people, the wives of the dead mine guards. My eyes run along the row, and then suddenly I do a take. What is it? That woman on the end. Ah, attractive. Yeah. She takes good pictures, too. Look, this photo. Anna and that girl. Where did you get this? In Anna's dressing room. She and this babe must be pals. We've got ourselves another lead, Gustav. Uh, look, she's leaving the platform. Yeah, quite an act she's putting on, the grief-stricken widow. Hey, the guy who's leading her away. Yes, he's wearing a chauffeur's uniform. Yeah, Rudy's driver. through the crowd after them. The driver takes the girl over to Rudy's car, parked at one corner of the square. Rudy's inside. We manage to ease close enough to hear him give an address to the driver. It's not far, so we leg it over there. The widow seems to have made a fast recovery from her sorrow. She and Rudy are drinking champagne. After a couple of minutes, he leaves and the chauffeur drives him away. I pull open the French windows and we go in. Who are you? Never mind. Right now, I want you to start talking about your friends Rudy and Anna. I don't know what you're talking about. Save it. You're up to your ears in a very nasty frame-up, and you'd better start spilling fast. Don't move, any of you. Who are you? I will ask the questions. Your identification. Quickly. There you are, Buster. The United States agent. What? What were you expecting? Oh, please, I am sorry, Mr. Mitchell. Hey, what is this? At... I am Jan Tresena, brother of the dead man who was supposed to be married to this woman. Oh, he wasn't really, huh? No. And he also was not a guard at the mine. He was actually a prisoner from a Czech concentration camp. Keep talking. This is getting more interesting by the moment. And he was brought here to Banagi to work in the mine with some other prisoners. I followed, hoping to help them escape. I had a plan worked out, but the night before last, six of them were taken secretly from the mine. Sure. They were the six guys who were killed and later passed off as Hungarian guards. It's the oldest trick in the world. Hitler used it to create one of the incidents that touched off the last war. Right. It's beginning to add up fast. The dead Czech prisoners were passed off as Hungarian guards and the dead American soldiers as Austrian raiders. Nice little deal you're wrapped up in, sister. Please. I only did what I was told to. I did not know what was happening. You were hired to pose as a dead guard's wife. Yes. Who hired you? Rudy. He also hired my sister Anna to take one of the American soldiers to her place. But neither of us knew they would be killed. Please, you must believe me. Who is this Rudy? He operates the mine on a lease from the government. And he's the gent behind the deal, huh? Yes. Please get me across the border and I will be a witness. I think we can arrange that. Take her to the underground station and wait for me, Gustav. All right. Come. Jen? We'd be sitting pretty if we had any proof of all this, but without it, we've got nothing. I know. It beats me how those prisoners can be erased like that with no questions asked. Well, we used to ask the questions. The prisoners are very expendable. Their records are sent back to the camp from which they came, simply marked deceased. That is the end of it. No questions asked. No one asks questions because everyone is afraid. Wait a minute. Their records? Records? Sure. If we could get our hands on them, we could bust this thing wide open. Those records must have fingerprints, photos, and the works. That would be proof that these dead guys weren't as advertised. Wait. You think the records could still be in the mine office? It's possible. Could be they'd hold them for a while until this thing blows over before they send them back. 
You said you had a plan worked out to get your brother out of the mine compound. Could we use it to get in? Yes. Yes, I believe we could. You see, the shift changes at midnight. At that moment, two grenades were to demolish the south fence. The prisoners were to make a break for it. Yeah. During the confusion, we could probably sneak in, all right. There's just one hitch, though. Where do we get the grenades? <laughs> Will these do, Mr. Mitchell? <laughs> Nothing like being prepared, Jan. Yeah, they'll do fine. We climb the hills outside of town until we get to a spot overlooking the mine. There's a barbed wire fence, searchlights, guards, the works. In the center of the compound is a small office building. At midnight, the shift changes. Now, Mitchell. Jan uncorks both grenades and lobs them down beside the fence. It worked. A hole in the fence. Come on. The prisoners are milling around, fighting with the guards. We slip through the hole in the fence unnoticed and head for the office. Then a reception committee steps out from behind the door. Hold it. Both of you. Well, my old friend Rudy, judging from those records in your hand, you must have had the same idea we did. When I realized you were still alive, it occurred to me you might try to get the records of the six prisoners. I thought I had better remove them. You had six prisoners and three U.S. soldiers killed in cold blood to stage this little incident of yours. Oh, it did not start out as an incident. You see, my records here at the mine would not stand inspection. You mean you had your payroll padded? <laughs> Quite a bit, I'm afraid. I think I get it. You stage a raid which results in killing a few guards, and that clears up the padded payroll. And then it occurred to me I had created something of greater value than I imagined. Sure, you manufacture an incident and sell it to your government. Got all the angles figured, huh, Rudy? Yes, including what I will do with you two. Oh? You are trespassers. Need I say more? No, I get the message. The window, get out! Yeah. Get back, Mitchell! Throw the gun, let go! Thanks, Rudy. You took your eyes off me just long enough. And thanks for these records. They're enough to blow this frame sky high. You've heard my guards outside mopping up. You will never leave this place alive. You're on, Rudy. Look out the window. Well, well, looks like the prisoners have the upper hand. They've overpowered the guards. What? I... Before any reinforcements arrive, Mitchell will have ample opportunity to get back to Gustav and across the border. Those prisoners out there, they're not trying to escape. They're just standing there, staring at the window. Could be they'd like to have a little talk with you about the six you killed, Rudy. No. No, Mitchell, you, you, you must protect me. Me? You kidding? I'm just a trespasser, remember? Well, then, then take me with you now, now. Okay, I'm going to the underground headquarters. Oh. I'm sure they'd be happy to see you. Underground? Yeah, looks like you lose either way, Rudy. Oh. You tried to play both sides against each other, and you wound up right smack in the middle. Come on, Jan, let's get out of here. Our star, Brian Donlevy, will return in just a moment. Thursday evening on NBC always brings you enjoyable radio entertainment by some of America's favorite performers. Robert Young stars as Jim Anderson in the family comedy entitled Father Knows Best. Roy Rogers and Dale Evans team up to present Western songs and adventure on The Roy Rogers Show. Eddie Cantor takes the top off his memory box and presents his show business show, 
with stories and music to relive the many wonderful years he has spent entertaining young and old from coast to coast. And then, Judy Canova sends radio listening your way from Cactus Junction for 30 fun-filled minutes. And Ralph Edwards plays host to contestants from the studio audience on Truth or Consequences. So, for the very best listening each and every Thursday night, be sure to set your radio dial to this NBC station where you'll hear these pleasurable programs. Remember, Thursday brings the Roy Rogers Show, Father Knows Best, Truth or Consequences, Eddie Cantor's Show Business Show, and the Judy Canova Show over most NBC stations. Next week, Turkey, a booby trap, and I'm the booby. And that will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. Included in tonight's cast were Paul Duboff, Bob O'Connor, Vivi Janis, Paul Fries, and Jeannie Tatum. This is John Storm speaking. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian John Doe, and is directed by Bill Karn. Be with us again next week at this time, when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another transcribed Dangerous Assignment. Always listen for the familiar three NBC chimes. They're your invitation to fine radio entertainment. Tomorrow, hear both Father Knows Best and Truth or Consequences on NBC. Welcome back. We've talked before about why Vienna is such an inviting place for these stories to be set in the 1950s, but it's worth mentioning again because it's a combination of both Vienna's status being unsettled for so long after the war with the continuing occupation by the great powers as well as its proximity to countries behind the Iron Curtain such as Hungary. Overall, I thought this was an exciting adventure, although having one character continuing to wear a chauffeur's uniform everywhere is kind of an odd choice, as out of its context, that clothing choice really does stand to stick out. Well, listener comments and feedback now, and we start with an email from Derek who writes, Adam! I made the mistake of watching an episode of Dangerous Assignment, the TV show. I'd had my mind made up as to what uh, Steve Mitchell looked like, his age, and his strange and dangerous places he visited. The radio can make the mind conjure up images that, put on screen, would cost millions of dollars. 
I know the TV show did as well as they could with the budget they but that they had, but some things are better left to the imagination. Love the show and happy Thanksgiving and upcoming Christmas. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate the comment, Derek. Now, as to Dangerous Assignment, the TV show, I will say that budget was such a big part of the problem with that TV show, with uh, Dangerous Assignment as a radio program. It evoked the idea of exotic foreign locales and perilous situations requiring dangerous daring do. And the TV series was one that was actually produced by Brian Donlevy and on a limited budget in 1951 in the very early days of television. So often things were not well realized. Uh, like, there was a TV episode that I saw where the scene was supposed to be a street in Egypt, but honestly, it looked like they were borrowing a set from the Adventures of Superman television series. It had that exact same very generic look and feel to it. Although they did have some sets that were better than that. But there were a lot of very American-looking exotic locales. And there were stunts that they just couldn't afford to do. Uh, my favorite example of this is that in the radio version of a script... Steve is held at gunpoint while he's driving a car by a woman who is going to kill him. And so he forces the car off the road and they crash and he survives and is able to disarm her because he is willing to crash the car. On the television version, they really didn't have the budget for that. And to be fair, they had sent a car off the road in another episode, so it's not like they couldn't afford any car crashes, but they couldn't afford all the car crashes. So instead, they are in a room and Steve disarms her by throwing a throw pillow at the gun hand. And there are some odd casting choices that I would not imagine. For example, in one episode... A guy sends a guard back with Steve to escort him to a neutral location to keep him safe. The guard doesn't have a line, so is unseen, and then is killed. But I imagine the guard as like this big, beefy, husky guy. In the television version of that script, they cast a guy who was probably only in his early 50s, but looked really feeble. He looked like about 70. And I'm like, what was the thought process behind this casting? Now, in terms of Steve Mitchell himself, to me, and again, your mileage may vary, but I actually think Steve Mitchell is fine. He's as I imagined him. Now, I have to admit that I had seen TV episodes of Dangerous Assignment. I think I might have actually seen a full television episode before I ever listened to a radio episode by some coincidence. But certainly people who uh, were the original listeners to the radio program knew what Brian Don Levy looked like because he was a fairly famous 
movie star. And that seemed to be the tactic of NBC in the late 40s and early 50s as they began their private detective mystery programs with leads who were known to listeners from film, whether it was Frank Lovejoy or Dick Powell. So most of the original radio listeners would have a pretty darn accurate image of Brian Donlevy in their heads. Now, is it a mistake to watch The Dangerous Assignment TV show. I don't think so, but I do think it is a choice. There are two approaches when it comes to uh, radio programs and enjoying them. The first is I want to imagine things how I want to imagine them. I want to create the images in my own mind without any influences. And then there's the approach of I want to put a face to the name. And I think both are valid. Uh, you just have to recognize if you're putting a face to the name, it's going to influence in most likely how you are able to imagine things. I've even had that happen on those few occasions where I've made videos, where I've met someone in person, I've had people say that I'm not as they imagine, and I kind of feel a little bit like I've disillusioned them. But, you know, I, I think it's a situation where if you just want to own imagination, paint the picture, then don't take out the visual element. I will also say that I do find TV episodes based on old-time radio programs to be really interesting viewing, as I think the adaptation choices are interesting, even if they sometimes go sideways. And despite the issues I have with the budget, I do think that there are some of the Dangerous Assignment episodes on television that are at least as good as the radio version. The only one that I can think of that was better was the TV episode, The Salami Story. The radio version of that episode began with Steve getting a briefing from the commissioner and then going up to Canada and then something happens in Canada and he gets sent over to Europe and the body of the adventure occurs on a train. TV version actually begins with the train and with Steve riding in a car to catch the train. And the reason for that was that they couldn't afford all of that hopping around and they needed to get to the point. And they got to the point and I think the story was actually better for it. Uh, adaptations from radio to television really are a bit of a mixed bag in terms of quality. I think Dragnet might do the best job of transitioning scripts from radio to television, although by 1950-51, Jack Webb had in mind bringing Dragnet to television, and I think a lot of the scripts were written in with that in mind. The scripts that tended to have more trouble making the transition from radio to television tended to be those scripts that had an element that worked really fine for radio, but made for poor television viewing. I think about episodes like The Big Bar, The Big Producer, and The Big Phone Call. I find it really interesting, but it also gives me kind of a different perspective, because there are people who 
think that it would have been great if their favorite radio programs were turned into TV shows. And those radio programs that made the transition showed that it wasn't always that easy. It's a very different medium. I know there are folks who wish that, like, yours truly Johnny Dollar had made it to TV. But I don't think that uh, television in the 1950s could have done that series justice. What made Dragnet's transition relatively easy is that I think that while it was very well executed, it was a pretty simple show concept-wise. It was set in Los Angeles and filmed in Los Angeles. Much of it could just easily be done on sets or shot on location, depending on what was called for. Dangerous Assignment, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, these were much more complicated ideas requiring much more complicated location work, plus the standard expectation for television series were to turn out 39 episodes per year. And that's a tough ask when you are doing all of this location work. And whatever critiques we have of Dangerous Assignment, they did the best they could with the limitations that were placed in trying to produce 39 episodes. Thanks so much for the uh, comment. Now we turn to a couple of comments from our listener survey. And uh, we have two separate unsigned comments. Uh, first up, this show is a welcome retreat from the vicissitudes of life. Excelsior! And another saying, thanks, Adam. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your taking the time to complete our listener survey. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Delilah, Patreon supporter since December 2019, currently supporting the podcast at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Delilah. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And please be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Dangerous Assignment. But join us back here tomorrow for Mr. Chameleon, where... I understand it, Mr. Willoughby. A shot was heard from this room by nearly everybody at this party. Yes, that's right, Mr. Chameleon. And then you rushed out of the room with this gun in your hand. Whose gun is it? Where did you get it? And why did you have it in your hand? Well, I... I just had it there, I suppose. Why did you kill this man? And who is he? He's Count Edward Orlano. Count Edward Orlano? Larry! Larry, how terrible! Edward killed... Get out of this room, Barbara. I'll take care of this. I'd rather have you stay, Miss Barbara. Uh, you are Larry's... Yes, she's um... my sister, Mr. Chameleon. Barbara, please leave. What was your connection with Count Orlano, Miss Barbara? I... I... I thought I was going to marry him, but something came up. What came up? He was a no-good rotter, Mr. Chameleon. I warned Barbara against him. I'm questioning Barbara, Mr. Willoughby. Now, I ask you, Miss Barbara, what was the something you say came up between you and the dead man? Mr. Chameleon, you can accuse me of murder, arrest me, have me convicted of murder, but I won't tell you what came up between Count Arlon and me. I'd rather... I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.